Okay, we're going to go with You Are Free again about what's going on with these fake packages and everything else is going on. The synagogue, all of it. Let's hear it. Very simple thing, uh, which is that we had this synagogue, which, which is called the Tree of Life. It had been uh, three congregations brought into one congregation. Mostly you hear about two uh, becoming the one, which I believe is called Simcha. And, um, but there was a third congregation brought in as well. And it's called the Tree of Life, right? And of course, the Tree of Life is used in, in both Christian and Jewish uh, traditions, as well as many other religious traditions around the world, right? And what's very interesting about this is that the person that attacked, uh, who is allegedly attacked the synagogue and shot these people, was named Robert Gregory Bowers, okay? And to me, immediately, when I saw that his name was Bowers, uh, I was put on guard because Bowers, of course, uh, is a shady place, okay? It is a leafy green uh, respite, really, um, within, a, uh, within a wood. I mean, it's not unlike what's over there. Uh, and to M. Bower, really, is to encircle in darkness, okay? And Robert means... Um, glory or uh, exalted. Uh, so it's very interesting that we have somebody named Robert Bowers. And of course, whenever they put the middle name in there, you, it it's, it's normally has to do with an assassin involved. So Robert Gregory Bowers. Uh, we have shooting up the synagogue, shooting these people at the synagogue uh, in Pennsylvania. And it means glory his name literally means glory of the one um, who, who uh, encircles in darkness, okay, um, to do with literally trees, and in this case, the tree of life. Okay, to me, that was the first very strange thing. Uh, how, of all the names in the world, do those two things happen simultaneously? Uh, we know how much um, in these in the machinations that go into orchestrated events that they use symbolism, names, numerology, all of this stuff in what they decide to execute. So to me, that was very outstanding. Uh, it stood out. There's that. Okay, so let's continue. Now, before this event happened, we had the, um, the, the latest uh, orchestrated other event, which was the MAGA boomer, shall we say, uh, s supposedly sending these uh, hoax devices, they're not even devices, these hoax things, to uh, many, many Democrats that recently have come under suspicion for being um, possibly guilty of treason in many, many seditious acts over the last uh, couple of decades. Now, that would be people like uh, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Eric Holder, uh, Joe Biden, you know, the list goes on and on. And what's interesting about this guy, Sayak, is it's come out recently that he was, uh, he worked at the same strip club in Broward County, Broward County, Florida, which just keeps coming up, right? Sheriff Israel of Broward County. Uh, brought under review for um, uh, people um, uh, not trusting him in his position. 
uh, connections there with the Muslim Brotherhood, with CARE, uh, connections with the uh, with very iffy elements of the FBI, the shooting at the high school, the FBI connections there to do with um, uh, dodgy stuff, and then we have uh, Sheriff Israel also involved in the uh, Fort Lauderdale shooter uh, that happened uh, the year previous where we have that shooting also, I mean, that attempted shooting at the airport that brought in greater security in the airports in Florida. And then, of course, there's just north of there the other shooting of the nightclub in, um, in Orlando with the guy saying the pre the, he was previously from the armed forces, saying he's hearing voices in his head. He goes to the FBI in, in Alaska. Uh, ends up then somehow in Florida a couple days later shooting up a nightclub. And now we have Caesar Sayak, who comes also from Broward County, um, had a multiple arrests, arrests in his past. All of his charges dropped, which is a big telltale sign of being an FBI informant. Okay, works at the same nightclub that Stormy Daniels used to work at. <laughs> All of this is around the corner from uh, Jeffrey Epstein's oh, home no. in uh, West Palm Beach, you can't right? Make this up. Where we also have James Patterson living, who just wrote that book, uh, The President is Missing, with Bill Clinton. After writing the book about Jeffrey Epstein called Filthy Rich, um, which was really a cover over piece for what Jeffrey Epstein really was which was a Mossad-placed agent who basically was set in motion to record enormous amounts of uh, underage uh, sex, pedophilia, and worse that went on at uh, Little St. Thomas Island out there normally, you know, in the parlance called Pedo Island in the Caribbean. And, of course, this is all down the street from Mar-a-Lago where Jeffrey Epstein was trying to procure uh, people uh, for his, to, to, to rape uh, girls from there, uh, teenage girls and adolescent girls. I mean, it's one big filthy thing going on there in that area from Broward County all the way out through Palm Beach up into uh, Orlando and down to Miami. Yikes. But, okay, so this guy, Cesar Syag, appears to be an FBI informant. Uh, possibly turned into a patsy, but we don't really know what even is going to happen to him. We have very little proof of anything about anything or anything that will happen to him from here on out. Um, and, but it does very much look like he is another yet in this, in this long history of FBI informants turned into patsies uh, for these uh, organized and orchestrated events. And so then right after this, okay, just before that, we have Trump saying, I'm a nationalist. We have Don Lemon on CNN saying, nationalism means anti-Semitism. It means you're a Nazi, which is totally untrue, completely. And that globalist, <laughs> globalist, calling somebody a globalist is a slur, which is completely untrue. And that that slur somehow means anti-Semitism, which is absolutely untrue. So you have this orchestrated um, uh, uh, this PC stuff going on in the mainstream media with CNN once again, okay? And so then right before the weekend, we have, uh, we have it coming out through Judicial Watch, okay, that the caravan, all right, 
the caravan, the people being marched up uh, across the southern border, trying to cross the southern border, are literally paid for by the Soros uh, Foundation. Okay, George Soros, we, is he still alive? We don't even know. But Alexander Soros, his son, is now in charge. He is the one calling the shots. And it's, it shows up through Judicial Watch's research, through their documents they got their hands on. We have Chris Farrell going on Fox News, excuse me, with Lou Dobbs, who now they're trying to say is an insane conspiracy theorist, which is ridiculous, that, that they got the documents, okay, that it's literally USAID. Now, USAID is our State Department, people. USAID is a giant slush fund. For, from our State Department that goes to different, uh, mostly pay-for-play uh, payoffs, okay, from our State Department. Hillary Clinton was, like, throwing money left and right to, you know, everybody who would give money to her Clinton Foundation or CGI. And so this is what happened in this case. We have USAID uh, showing through multiple layers that it's actually going in towards paying for this caravan. That's why we have flatbed trucks, you know, meals on wheels, you know, literally like people just looking healthy as can be, walking along supposedly these thousands of miles to come to our southern border because this is the planned event that was made to happen after, um, you know, it was planned long ago, 100 years plus, where they were going to... Um, destroy country identities, destroy uh, culture and history by um, melding all the societies together. And of course, there we're going to use the radical Islamic threat as the uh, terror uh, aspect of it. Okay, so, so that's why, um, so we have literally Lou Dobbs saying George Soros should be arrested. Uh, we have uh, Chris Farrell of Judicial Watch saying, you know, we, we know this is true. It's Soros-funded organizations, um, and it's literally connected to USAID out of our State Department, um, and it also is connected with the uh, uh, UN, sanctioning this and, and, and um, organizing it and mandating it, actually, <laughs> out of UNESCO, way back down through... Um, uh, Julian Huxley, you know, the first head of UNESCO, right up through, we have George Bush, George Sr., George Bush Sr. involved in UNESCO. Uh, this is all about the UN's uh, plan to, um, uh, to force migration upon Western nations. Whew. So that comes out, okay? And then immediately after that comes out, we have this event in Pennsylvania. Excuse me for one second. I'm a little parched. Now, okay, I'm not going to get too much into the horror of why, how it's so disgusting that they use anti-Semitism. Another video, not for this one because I've already tried <laughs> to do this video so many times and not being able to get it processed. So I'm going to stick to just what happened. Okay, immediately we have Gab. Uh, Gab.ai being attacked as the source, the reason why this person, Robert Bowers, was allowed to um, was allowed to 
post online, just, I mean, it's interesting. Somebody, there was, uh, you know, everywhere, all the people that used to work in big tech, you know, that are getting out of it because it's evil, <laughs> are all saying, delete your social media accounts, people. These are your enslavement tools, right? We know this. We talk about it a lot on this channel. Don't do social media because it is slavery. It is literally destroying uh, countries and um, it is the major number one tool of globalism uh, people might say oh it's anarchic it's all these things we we get to be really free of the big government but no it's not how it's working out uh, get more into that later so yeah so they immediately attack attack gab now it literally cnn and other newspapers msm are calling gab an extremist social media site, which is ridiculous. Um, it's an alternative, really, to uh, to Twitter, and you just uh, get on Gab and say whatever. So they're trying to say that Robert Bowers decided right before that he was going to go and commit massive acts of math, you know, of mass uh, executions that he decided to get on his social media and say, I'm going in, I'm going to kill all these people. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I'm, that is my opinion, having watched all of these, uh, these events, these orchestrated events, that somebody would get on social media, I don't care how whacked out they are, that they would get on there and say, I'm about to go in and do this. Okay, I'm going to use all this right-wing language, and then I'm going to go in right-wing extremist language, and then I'm going to say, you know, forget it, I'm going in, you know. Um, it makes zero sense um, for anybody throughout history who's done, who's really done these acts, intending to, to do them, um, does not announce it on social media. They don't announce it to anybody. They keep it quiet. Um, this is what is an outstanding part of this. And then we move from there. So we have 17 is the number that of injured and killed. To me, that's interesting just in the Q universe, uh, which we had the year uh, anniversary of Q a few days ago with no word from Q. Q universe, no Q university, no anniversary, Q anniversary. But we have 17 injured, okay, 11 killed. Six injured, four of them cops, two are others. Now, there are, when you're looking at a situation of something that's happened and it's an event that was not planned or executed as a social engineering tool, there is usually a lot more um, coverage of the actual scene, the crime scene. Um, uh, there's more photos of actual uh, bodies of the crime scene after the fact. Now, this doesn't mean uh, disturbing the crime scene. It means just your general uh, photos, of journalistic photos, of where it happened, what happened. We have none of that, hardly any of it. We have the three people who were at the front, supposedly at the front of the building. They, these three people who were killed, Jerry Rabinowitz, and the two brothers who were mentally challenged, who... Um, were in their, I believe, 55 and 59, respectively, have been going to the Tree of Life their whole lives. They, were, they usually would hand out books at the door to people coming in. And so, suppose, so supposedly, they would have been some of the first two folks who were murdered, okay? 
And then Jerry Rabinowitz, who is a doctor, I believe he was 65. One thing that's very interesting about this event, everybody was 65 and older right up till 97 years old. All of these people, people in their 90s, their late 80s, uh, mid to late 70s, and then 60, late 60s. That's, that stands out as well to me, that there are no younger people. We have Rabbi Jeffrey Myers saying that he was in the middle of beginning the services. We have Rabbi Chuck Diamond, who used to work there, who left 18 months prior, uh, before Rabbi Myers came in, saying that he talked to Rabbi Myers before, I mean, excuse me, after the massacre happened and that, uh, that the, the services hadn't started yet. And we hear uh, some reports where they're saying Rabbi Myers saved people's lives, uh, was active in, in preventing the shooting, and then we have other, uh, not preventing the shooting, excuse me, but um, active in trying to help and save people. And then we have Rabbi Myers saying that he uh, told people to get down behind the pews, and then he, he went upstairs quickly and uh, into a different room, closed the door, and said he couldn't watch and um, listened to all these people being killed downstairs. And so we don't know if the services had started or not, but Jerry Rabinowitz was a doctor in the area, had been for, for many, 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 like 40 years. And he was really active back in the early days of the AIDS movement in that area. He had a movement, <laughs> AIDS. Um, AIDS disease, the, the, the AIDS um, scourge. And um, we have people saying he kept us alive the longest. And uh, he's known as an uh, anti-aging doctor, somebody who hated electronic records. Seemed like a little bit of a, he, he, he remained an independent doctor and somebody who worked outside of the system, it sounds like. So what's odd is that he had supposedly run out and escaped, okay, when the shooter had come, but then somehow decided to turn around and go back in and help the wounded. How they knew that, how do they even know that? I don't, I don't know. That's what the story is. And so he's one of the other first dead or closest to the door. And what's odd to me is that these three individuals were buried immediately. Uh, they would have been some of the first killed and buried immediately. Um, I don't know. It, it's all interesting because why would they be buried three days after this took place? Uh, they, they, all three of them were buried on Tuesday, okay, funeral services on Tuesday. This is literally three days after the shooting. Not, e I mean, you know, not even three days. So to me, that stands out as strange, okay? Um, of all the people that were killed, Rabinowitz kind of stands out as being a little different than the other people. Um, a lot of the other, several of the other people were involved at the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania University, PA, uh, Penn State, Pittsburgh. Um, everybody, they all seem like great folks, really wonderful people. Um, he stands out 
with what he did with his practice as a doctor and these two men who had been uh, uh, developmentally disabled. So, going to continue. I'm just going to state things because I'm going to leave it to you to kind of make connections because um, I think trying to make those connections in past videos is what's making this not get uploaded. So, carrying on from there, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about it. Um, so, okay. Now, what we know is that Rabbi Jeffrey uh, Myers had met in recent months, uh, I believe a month or so ago, might have been in the summer, a little bit more, like two months ago, with the uh, public safety director of Pittsburgh, Wendell Hisrich, who's been talking about it quite a bit uh, in the news about what happened. And, um, and also uh, the, the Rabbi Myers is a is a huge anti-gun advocate. He's a gun control advocate. And he, in July, put out a memorandum to his congregation saying that, um, you know, the gun, the gun violence that keeps happening in the schools um, will just keep happening. Um, each school shooting pushes, last, uh, la pushes the last one out of the news cycle. And this was in July. Um, after that meets with the Public Safety uh, uh, Commission of, of Pittsburgh, and then we end up oddly getting a shooting in the in, at Tree of Life congregation where, where he is the rabbi. Before that, um, Rabbi Myers was uh, uh, back in the... Well, I believe before 2014, he was in Mesopequa, Long Island, at a closed congregation called Beth El. And then from 2014 to 17, he was in Ventnor, New Jersey, at Beth Judah. And then he was hired to be both uh, the cantor and the rabbi here at the, at the Tree of Life congregation. Now, what is really interesting to me is that last weekend, we also had another shooting which was there were seven people shot in a nightclub in L.A. Okay, this was at a First Purge party. There's a movie called First Purge. This is a series of Purge movies all about an, a day, a night, 24 hours of violence that's granted by the government for people to go do psycho things. I mean, disgusting movie. And so there was a nightclub that had a First Purge party in L.A., and seven people were shot and we hear nothing about it, not one thing, okay? Um, but what we hear immediately after this episode, at this awful massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue, is let's shut down Gab. And we had PayPal, Stripe, and another server, and, and GoDaddy domain. GoDaddy dumps Gab, okay? This is why we need peer-to-peer um, public mesh network services, folks. That's why we need to get rid of these domain uh, sponsoring things. Uh, get rid of it. But we don't hear, let's shut down Hollywood, let's shut down these purge movies, let's shut down this hateful, 
programming coming through Hollywood and the media, we just hear, let's shut down the one social media network, even though there's others, but the one that they've been attacking now for months, Gab, because there are some haters on that, on that site. However, this guy who nobody knows, okay, Robert Bowers, nobody knows him, like all of our lone gunmen, he has no family, nobody knows him, he moved into Pittsburgh again about 18 months ago. Oddly, that's around the time that Rabbi Myers came to this congregation. The former rabbi there was named Chuck Diamond. And Chuck Diamond had, I, I think, formed two congregations into one at Tree of Life, and it became Lusimcha. Now, Chuck Diamond left 18 months ago when Rabbi uh, Jeffrey Myers came in. Excuse me while I have a sip of water. Okay. And so... So now Chuck Diamond has a group called Gahila La La. And I guess that means a community of joy in Hebrew. Now, he, it seems that he practices mostly, this is a, this is not a congregation. It is a organization, a business that he operates um, in public parks and public places. And he wanted to have a living Judaism be this, the, the subject matter of his new endeavor when he left uh, La Simcha, which is the Tree of Life congregation combined. And so this year he had, for the high holidays, um, he was holding them at the Pittsburgh Garden Center adjacent to Mellon Park off Shady Avenue. And people could, uh, could purchase, could be a part of them by doing something, well, by paying money. They could become part of the organization of Kahila La La by paying $540. And this was what he called three hugs. And these were... These hugs, each hug cost $180, okay? And you pay three of them to become a full member of Kehila La La. Now, for the high holidays this last season, for the Jewish high holidays, uh, one person, you could attend all of them, as I said, at the Pittsburgh Garden Center adjacent to Mellon Park uh, by paying one hug, which is $180, or for a family, you could attend for $360, or which is two hugs. Okay, so this is the fellow who, and he says he does rabbinic house calls, um, this kind of thing. And he uh, went immediately to the uh, Tree of Life after the massacre, said that he saw Rabbi Myers, and um, they didn't speak immediately, but what he had said was, you know, the two fellows who were mentally impaired, and he has been acknowledged by the special needs uh, community, uh, by the Agency for Jewish Learning, um, he's been acknowledged for his work in special needs, in the special needs community of Pittsburgh, and he had said that these two fellows who were um, developmentally impaired would have been right close to the door handing out books. 
He also said at that time of the morning on Saturdays, that tends to be a very, very quiet morning, quiet time of the morning. Um, that, you know, people that didn't get really started till later, that the service wouldn't have started yet, from what I've seen in reports. Um, but we had in other reports that the services had already started and that Rabbi Myers was already uh, beginning the services and then the gunmen entered, although supposedly the gunmen's rifles were downstairs underneath at the, in the basement where a different congregation was happening. And, and that the rabbi saw the gunman from the front, said, everybody get down. And then he took off upstairs. And uh, this is kind of what we're hearing. Okay, but we don't hear anything about the other shooting that happened in L.A. We just hear that Gab AI allowed this gunman to have a platform in social media and that this guy was so stupid that he said right before he went in to shoot these people that um, I'm going in and I'm especially uh, pissed at them because of they work with refugees and everything to do with um, Hiras, I mean Hias, which is the Hebrew, Hebrew Immigration Aid Society. And of course, this Hebrew Immigration Aid Society has everything to do with um, Jewish immigration, <laughs> okay? That's what it's for. It's not like we're dealing with, let's bring every migrant from everywhere. Uh, that's not what it's for. The Hebrew Immigration Aid Society, which was developed in the 1880s, um, is for Jewish immigration into the United States. And um, it was to escape persecution in other places, but also to build a uh, USA community um, of, of Jewish people. Now, so that whole rhetoric is very suspect, okay, of all of the, of all of what's going on with uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, the, you know, the, all of the societies, uh, the organizations out there dealing with, um, you know, refugees, um, which is not the same as immigration at all whatsoever, um, it, it makes no sense that somebody is going to point to high ass as being the, the, the issue. And, you know, it's odd because Biana Golodraga uh, of CBS, um, you know, was able to say, my family was, you know, brought um, in 1980 from Russia by Hayas, um, they bought their plane tickets. That's the way we were able to come here. Um, there was this immediate mainstream media connection there with her, who is, she just got a new show um, on CBS, Biana Golodraga, um, the Russian immigrant, who, no, her family is Russian immigrants, uh, came over in 1990. And she's also from Galveston, Texas, which it was interesting, folks. There's a whole other <laughs> situation here. There's, there's a whole different thing, and I can't even get into it in this video because I want it to get uh, aired. But I'm going to have to dive in here a little bit. I'm going to try to make this round up in five more minutes here, which is that... Um, so I'm just going to concisely say, Jeffrey... Myers, the rabbi Jeffrey Myers has been very, very gracious in the media. He's invited Trump to come. 
we were made very clear that the shooter, Robert Bowers, meaning enclosing in darkness with glory um, of the tree of life, does not, that, that Robert Bowers does not like Trump, that Trump is too pro-Jew, pro-Israel, and, and that it was made to be that he was even more extreme than, than Trump, who already incited violence and hatred, which is already a lie. But then on top of it, we get this, well, no, we want Trump to be free of this. And it was all very interesting, folks. And from my point of view, when we look at orchestrated events, um, the, when, when you look at the cui bono, who benefits aspect, um, there's something going on here larger than a lot of the things we've been seeing. So we've had, you know, Israel that same weekend that this happened, Israel was bombing Gaza, threatening to bomb the, the Iranian uh, army in Syria, um, massive bombing on Gaza, uh, a whole agenda happening there. We have Sarah Netanyahu being um, uh, going to court recently for all the corruption to do with the Netanyahu's. Uh, Nikki Haley being fired. You know, we even have Angela Merkel now. You know, jumping ship or being thrown out of the EU government here. Um, massive things are happening, and there's a huge attempt, I think, uh, to reorganize some stuff, which I'll get into in my next video. I, I can't do it here. But, but, okay, Nikki Haley gets thrown out of the UN. Um, she's, it's connected to corruption, something to do to the tune of $40 million. Um, there is the APAC organization, which we're very aware of, okay. Um, APAC, uh, as we know, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee um, we've heard Cynthia McKinney, other Congress people talk about how the Congress is made to take this APAC pledge where you have to basically uh, pledge your allegiance to Israel. Um, we keep, okay, I got to rein it in. Um, and the thing about the APAC is that they are, they notoriously use a, something called Israel bonds. Okay, Israel bonds, um, is short for the Development Corp for Israel, the Development Corporation for Israel, or DCI. And uh, it's the uh, U.S. underwriter of debt securities uh, issued by the government of Israel. Okay, so Israel bonds. Now, Israel bonds was started by Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel. And um, they basically, they're just a broker uh, that underwrites securities, okay, um, in the USA, it, you know, by, for the state of, the government of Israel in the USA, specifically for U.S. investors, this is specifically a massive pay-for-play organization, okay, and, and it's, it's touted as Israel bonds, oh, buy Israel bonds for, for, you know, Jewish families and this kind of thing. When really, no, it's, it's literally, it's pension funds. American pension funds are what buys Israel bonds and banks, okay? Um, but they, and, and it's only to the tune of about $50 billion, okay? So that's small compared to other massive investments in Israel. But this fund, this Israel bonds fund, is used very much in this kind of shady area of pay-for-play. And it's very well known in Israel amongst uh, people researching there 
um, where that, that Netanyahu used a lot of this money from Israel bonds for all the corruption that he's being uh, uh, investigated for and his wife is being investigated for and we think Nikki Haley is being investigated for and others. Uh, she who spoke at APAC, at the APAC leadership convention this year and we got a standing O um, for her speech there at, at APAC. But, but Israel Bonds pays for so much pay for play and we can just imagine what it's been involved in. And so I just have to put out there that um, a lot of people get this award from Israel Bonds every year. Like October 21st, we just had Ben-Gurion's grandson in Cleveland um, get issuing out uh, the awards for this year, okay? Um, and this Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Myers, Jeffrey Myers, of the Tree of Life congregation was given an Israel Bonds Ben-Gurion award um, a, a few years back. And why I think it's interesting about our, our friend from Galveston, Texas, is that there's a, there's a lot of folks in the Galveston, Houston, southern Texas area um, that have been very active in this whole Israel Bonds thing. And Israel Bonds, there's a platinum club, which is invitation only, and you have to pledge at least a million dollars to get in, but you have to be invited in. Um, then there's a presidential club. I think it's only $100,000. Um, so that's like the slumming it club. Um, but it, it's all just very, there's connections here is what I'm trying to say. They're, they're pushing the death penalty. We're going to have him tomorrow, Robert Bowers, supposedly in court. He was moved out of the county into Butler County without a word, no explanation. Okay, are, is he going to be murdered in prison? Um, and not show up in court tomorrow, we don't know, okay? We don't know. But he was moved by U.S. Marshals out of Allegheny County into Butler County to the prison there and um, supposed, to, supposed to show up in court tomorrow. People reported that when he showed up uh, in court for the arraignment, he was just nonplussed, very, very low-key, um, you know, it's all very interesting what went on in the synagogue. Um, the killing of people, 65 and over, up through the late 90s. Um, a rabbi who meets with the city commissioner about, uh, the city commissioner who's in charge of security um, a month before and talks about gun violence and gun control consistently as being a priority. Uh, then immediately, one last thing I'll throw out is this number 33. We see this come up tons in the um, executed event world um, where the 33 number gets thrown out there just, just to let people know this is a skull and bone situation. And 33 kept popping up constantly around this. I believe this congregation even is, is um, that the number of the street where they are is 331, um, but they're also, we had on CNN, uh, James uh, Gagliano, we had a couple of analysts on there about, um, you know, crime experts, Art Roderick, James Gagliano, um, Art Roderick saying that it was the person who sent the devices, Caesar Sayak, was responsible for what then happened with Robert Bowers at the, at the synagogue, the awful, disgusting massacre, 
And then we had James Gugliano saying, unfortunately, we live in a country with civil liberties. And right before he said that, he said, there are 330 um, Americans, you know, in this country. And unfortunately, we live in a country with civil liberties. And then um, they also were showing a lot in the papers, I noticed, that there was this young man, 33-year-old, who kept who was shown putting flowers at those at the um, stars that were put outside for the 11 people who were killed. All right, folks, I think I'll stop there. Now, I just want to say it again that, um, you know, I do not know... Uh, that I, I, I'm not saying at all that there was not a giant massacre at all at this synagogue and um, I cannot stand anti-Semitism and I cannot stand uh, uh, any kind of hatred and in fact you know our prayers go out to these families and these people involved yes. um, but there is a pattern that happens at orchestrated events um, that shows here very clearly. We have Rabbi Meyer saying um, we're, we have to rebuild the synagogue. Um, you know, this happens at every single place where these events happen. We're going to tear it down and build it new. He said there's too many bullet holes. We can never just have it as it is. That makes no sense, folks. Do you see that place? It's huge. It's a massive building. <laughs> of course you can redo that woodwork. Of course you can redo the interior of the, of the affected areas. And what's very interesting to me is having been around so many Jewish people in my life, um, I, Jewish people love tradition. They love reserving and preserving, uh, especially when it comes to mourning and tragedy. It's to save things that have, to, to show and remember what happened. So talking about destroying this synagogue and creating it anew. Now they've got millions and millions of dollars of donations already. Um, it, it doesn't ring true. It's something, you know, the bso meter is just huge on this one. And I can't stand that they keep using Jews uh, to do this and that, uh, you know, it's just enough already. That's my opinion. Okay, folks, well, look, <laughs> it's the end of the video. If you um, like the video or you just like my channel in general, I'm just letting you know this is the end of the month. We do a giveaway for patrons um, of C60 Purple Power. Um, we do it at the end of each month. I am sponsored by them. And I'm extending it through tomorrow night at midnight because um, YouTube has not let me put videos up the last two days. And so, um, so yeah, anybody who becomes a patron through tomorrow night at midnight um, will be um, eligible to win in the giveaway of the C60 Purple Power, three bottles, uh, eight, oh, 16 no, ounce, eight power. ounce, and four ounce. And also, um, you, if you want to donate... You I'm just excited. I want to win some C60 Purple Power. Don't you? I can just use some C60 right now. Real news. Just what we absolutely need. I, there are very few people that I just trust and go to. You are free as one of the voices. If you are not subscribed, subscribe. This is for people that don't have the time. Here we go. Listen. She's talking about the campaign. Div oh, no. Funds diverted to the caravan. 
I just heard they weren't poor. This is like really upsetting right migrants now. Or anything of the sort because these people are literally being paid to do this. This is a job to these uh, thousands of people that are coming up. It's looking like mostly from Venezuela and Honduras. Now, we're going to get back into the fact that it's amazing that they have found this out about Beto O'Rourke's campaign. I want to say one thing. I cannot stand Beto O'Rourke for the very uh, reason that um, I've seen him lie many, many times during his campaign speeches and um, using really dirty politics. Now, one of his biggest lies, in my view, was saying that he comes from, for one thing, using the word Beto for his name. I don't know if you've seen that that meme that's been out there the last couple of weeks that, you know, and it's very apropos to this video, actually, because, you know, it was the, the old joke of three people go into a bar, um, and in this case, um, a Mexican, an African-American, oh, no. and a uh, Native American. And then, uh, of course, no, actually, it's just three crazy liberals, cre three crazy white liberals, because it's Beto O'Rourke pretending mm -hmm. that he is trans Mexican. Oh no! Uh, the that white woman who pretends that she's African American <laughs> to the extent of even getting plastic surgery and making her hair oh, uh, be um, like black people's hair uh, often is. And then we have um, uh, you know Elizabeth Warren right pretending she's Native American. Now all these people are so sick of these ridiculous, crazy antics of the white liberals trying to create this post-white world in which everything is good except white people. And so we have Beto O'Rourke being caught out in his campaign. His campaign manager uh, is Jody... Unbelievable stuff, folks. Unbelievable. Jody Casey, okay, she's on, she's on film basically saying, you know, we did it, it's fine, as far as giving money to these, to the caravan people. Now, what's also come out is that MasterCard is giving them, uh, funded partially by the UN and by George Soros, MasterCard is giving out prepaid How cards to these people. How are we And there's this? six legs to this journey that comes all the way up from Venezuela. Oh and for each leg of the journey, people are getting paid $1,000 in prepaid MasterCard fees. Mm. Um, it's almost unbelievable. If I mean, it's, it's, it, it, this is literally a paid um, walkabout. And we're not even hearing this on the news. We're not hearing this on the news. I did not know that. If I didn't watch you on free TV, I would not know. Come and do this this work of disruption at this time. So I think that's really important. Um, probably the most important news I've heard today. And so I wanted to get it out to you right away. And there's the links below. You can watch the videos where you have these folks talking about it specifically um, right out there, <laughs> admitting that it's true. And so there's that. Now. Uh, I'm going to let everyone know that I did an interview yesterday with Dr. Shiva Ayurdere, the independent running in Massachusetts, and I tried to post that video, um, Eight Ways to Sunday, and uh, it got corrupted and would not post. And it's very interesting that the, my major corruptions in my censorship here on this channel often happens when I, even, when I either um, interview Robert David Steele and now we have it here with Dr. Shiva Ayurdere, who is very, very strong as an independent running in Massachusetts against very, very powerful people, Elizabeth Warren and Jeff Deal, both with horrible policies, both complete uh, globalist shills. 
And so it's very interesting because both he and Robert, C Robert David Steele are very keen on this idea of a public mesh network system, both very outspoken about censorship. Um, Dr. Ayurdere actually invented email way back in the late 70s. Uh, he is um, a tech entrepreneur. And of course, we have Robert David Steele pushing the uh, open source uh, information technology for there being a, uh, a way to more cheaply do jobs that corporations, multinationals now are way, way, way overcharging for. And this is what we're seeing in general. This, this push from our southern border to uh, basically have a force of people come in like what they've done in Europe um, with Africans is, is the plan. It is the Agenda 21 plan. And that's why we had 9-11. That's why we had the seven countries in seven years statement by the Pentagon, which, of course, that whole building was built as a World War management center, okay? It was designed to execute world wars. And that the, the seven countries in seven years was to provide this refugee force to destabilize Western Europe, okay? We create these wars. Okay, now the, the, the white Westerners are very bad. We take the refugees, we destabilize the West, and now that's what they're doing to the United States from the South. And there's already a second uh, force of people coming up also being paid. Again, this is verified that it is George Soros, um, his, um, his thing called Blue Act, Act Blue, um, that, that, that's one organization that was directly money into Beto's campaign and also um, uh, multiple other uh, organizations that belong are funded by George Soros as well as um, uh, the United Nations, okay? So this is very, very important to understand that this has been executed over the last two decades, planned several decades before that. And as we uh, get closer here to Monday, um, well, they're trying to silence people like Dr. Shiva Ayurdere running independent, and they're trying to lie to the public with things such as this ridiculous ad on TV, I don't know if you've seen it, called The Last Weekend, where you have these kind of B-class Hollywood uh, personalities getting on a commercial talking about if you don't go vote like a superhero would to oust the the <laughs> Republicans, um, you basically accepting that they're putting children in cages. <laughs> I mean, that's how insane and crazy and stupid they think that we are. And we're, we're not stupid, folks. We are here um, uh, very, very aware that this is a multinational, big tech, fascist um, cabal of multi-billionaires that have a plan to turn this planet into a prison. And if they can destabilize um, some of the most successful countries, uh, the most law and order, the most human rights uh, countries, then they will win um, by bringing in major, um, by first murder and mayhem, but then bringing in such intense control over thought, behavior, and um, where we live, how we move, what we do, what we eat, uh, who we are with each other, all with a smiley face, that, that that's, that's the way it's going to go. And so uh, we, we, want, um, we want spontaneity, we want freedom, human freedom, uh, the right to liberty, 
um, for every human being, but right now here in the United States, um, it's to protect our rule of law, protect our Constitution, and not believe in these lies being put out by uh, the mainstream mockingbird paid by um, the uh, intelligence agencies that are um, uh, corrupted. Okay, this is not the good guys paying these folks, right? We know this. Okay, so I'm going to stop there and just let people know that we did have the uh, giveaway results. Uh, every, every month on this channel, we, I am sponsored by a C60 Purple Power, which is... Oh, no! Not with the C60 Purple Power! Got to reveal y'all to something. I'm on it right now. No. Oh, gosh. You are free TV. Have we missed you? We haven't heard you in the longest. Let's hear what she's talking about. Hillary Clinton getting a blood test in which she Oh, wait, explain. Explain the context. Real implications for our privacy, our rights, uh, uh, our rights to privacy being the right, Fourth Amendment, and um, that it doesn't benefit we the people to have this kind of shenanigans going on. Um, yes, it does expose the ridiculousness of um, the social justice warrior situation. Um, I do think it was more of a trolling in that realm to draw out um, uh, basically that there is to show the idiocy of these people because, again, the people that were sent these devices, Governor Cuomo, now calling on the National Guard for his, you know, now that he's involved, I'm going to call on the National Guard. Uh, we can't have, you know, military to actually protect our borders, but he can have National Guard to, um, you know, up the surveillance around him. Uh, so, you know, this is mafioso Cuomo, right? And um, this is what we're seeing is that all the people that got sent these were literally the 10 most wanted treasonous folks. So, I really do think it is a troll. I think this is to, um, you know, show that, uh, that, you know, be on notice, be on notice, folks that are uh, guilty of these mass crimes. Um, you know, it's going to turn around. Okay, we're gonna leave it there, but I am gonna go from there to, uh, to a really interesting and funny thing, which is that Babylon B. Um, they put up a really funny uh, fake article about um, Hillary Clinton getting a blood test <laughs> in which she was surprised to find out and to announce that uh, she was only 50% part uh, reptilian and not 100% reptilian. And this is the segue <laughs> into the rest of this video, which is about what's going on with the corporatization of disclosure and the SSP TM, um, you know, to get kind of in some background stuff, because for me, it's really about the background, it's about the money, it's about the funding, and who benefits, again, who benefits from there being one giant corporation controlling all of the disclosure movement, and um, yeah, so, but this is funny, so Babylon B put out a story where Hillary Clinton was declaring, I got my blood test, I'm not 100% reptilian, I'm only 50% reptilian. Uh. And of course, that's the, the funny uh, <laughs> picture. That's the cover the, for this video. So I'm gonna grab a sip of water, give me a second. <laughs> that cracked me up. I, all right, so.
and of course, you know, that was taken off of the Elizabeth Warren stuff to do with her being 0.0000000000.1%, possibly maybe Native American. And of course, the Native American leaders are like, shut up, Elizabeth Warren. We don't want to hear about your baloney with being Native American. You aren't. And this is from Native American uh, chiefs, lawyers, analysts, uh, talk show hosts. All these Native Americans are like, zip it, Elizabeth Warren. So, um, okay. Now, I'm going to segue from the Hillary isn't reptile to just understanding that um, we have, at a time where we have the New York Times publishing short stories about the assassination of President Trump or Jim Carrey showing, you know, painting a painting with Trump with a, with a, with a device in his mouth. Um, this is all coming out of a very, you know, crazy culture that is being force-fed uh, anger, rage, um, uh, complete uh, irrationality. And the interesting thing is that these people are all sided with Oops. a very, very uh, corrupt um, political agenda that, for whatever strange reason, um, so many of them still don't seem to understand. And so we have Hillary Clinton uh, back in, uh, way back, okay, it started with Reagan saying we need a unifying force across the planet, you know, globally, so that we can, if we had to fight aliens, if we were all one unified humanity, um, that's what we would do because the aliens would be so threatening that we would unify. And so, so this is, this is, brings us up into what ended up happening with um, the more uh, realistic researchers, okay, into ufology becoming um, uh, less and less the norm. And what ended up happening is it became more speculation and very wild stories that didn't have research behind them, coupled with um, the advent of channeling and um, uh, you know messages from the cosmos that were being channeled through people and that that somehow is what took on the new life in ufology. And that coincided with the beginning of a corporation, which began in the late 90s, okay? And at that point, that corporation, uh, uh, you know, it's so hard because, you know, everybody's getting attacked by this corporation, it's a crazy thing. They're going after everybody with lawfare in the same way that we see the deep state going after everybody with lawfare. And it's no wonder or no surprise because um, that corporation, the stockholders, the major stockholders in that corporation are the same stockholders in most deep state <laughs> corporations. And that would be um, people like uh, BlackRock, Okay, and Vanguard, um, these are the biggest stockholders in that corporation uh, that is controlling the disclosure movement and buying up all the rights to the uh, written and research material of people who 
have been struggling their whole lives mostly to make a living to keep doing the work they're doing, which has to do with uncovering stuff about the breakaway civilization. And so these are the major stockholders in that corporation. It starts with a G. I believe that anybody knows who I'm talking about, but it's a word that uh, uh, means earth, okay? And that is TM, right? And so it's kind of interesting that we've had this new phenomenon of researchers and people in the disclosure movement coming out saying it is wrong to trademark the names of um, phenomena that have nothing to do with nobody can own these things. It's like, it's like Monsanto, you know, copywriting seeds, right? Getting the patents for seeds. Um, it's the same here with this uh, calling the Earth TM and then having it, uh, this corporation was built, of course, by uh, alphabet agencies. It's absolutely is true. And the people that are the major stockholders in this corporation that starts with a G and means Earth is FMR LLC, BlackRock, wow. Renaissance Holdings, and Vanguard. Okay, so we know BlackRock and Vanguard. I'll get into the other, uh, you know, stockholders in a different video. But everybody who's done research knows that BlackRock and Vanguard have been consistently what comes up in um, CIA operations uh, to do with investment, uh, to do with funding, and um, and also, uh, you know, many many deep state. There's a whole web to do with what these what these folks fund. And so we have this corporation way back in 2002 connecting with the United Nations um, and doing a study, okay? It had coined this term called LOHAS, L-O-H-A-S. And this was lifestyles of health and sustainability. And this was to be in accordance with Agenda 21, uh, the project for the new American century, where of course uh, they would take away our right to do anything all under the guise of we love to do with less we are you know scarcity is fine we're all just gonna sit here and you know <laughs> i don't know have three drips of water a day and you know eat avocados that's gonna be good and you know <laughs> on one level i have such empathy because i also love to eat avocados i love to you know i love the earth i love the environment but what they've done to us is um make it uh, a warrior stance, okay, to be in absolute uh, scarcity mode. And, you know, people will defend this to the hilt, okay, not understanding that they're being completely soci socially engineered and hoodwinked. So we had this G Corporation in 2002 meeting with the uh, UN and presenting a marketing study um, about uh, LOHAS, which is, again, lifestyles of um, health and sustainability. And it sounds so lovely, doesn't it? But it's not lovely because unfortunately, what keeps coming up again and again with this corp is that there's anything but health and it's not sustainable. Um, we have constant, constant um, lawfare, uh, massive uh, infighting, um, huge accounts of really, um, uh, you know, despicable behavior, <laughs> as anti-spiritual as you can get. 
And then most recently, of course, we have um, the, what came up last weekend and was put out by uh, dark journalist, um, Joe from the Carolinas, Richard Dolan then put out several, um, it seems like every day he's putting out new videos discussing aspects of this. And it is because people that have done real disclosure real work, real research for years, um, are sick and tired of a corporation um, uh, just monetizing uh, uh, false research or um, unsus unsubstantiable, a way that it can't be substantiated uh, stories, okay? So, and this was all spurred by, um, if anybody knows about the disclosure movement, Gosh, I got way off topic, didn't I? I was, I was starting with Hillary, which was that Hillary had said over and over that she was going to do disclosure. And there's going to be this movie, okay, um, that was going to um, uh, go from 1992, okay, the beginning of some of the disclosure movement up through 2016 and the election. And of course, she didn't win the election. The movie never happened. And, but who was involved and supposedly on board and going to be in this movie? Uh, Al Gore, okay, Clinton, Bill Clinton, John Podesta, um, and then they had like Jimmy Kimmel, you know, as part of the journalist <laughs> section. Jimmy Kimmel, journalist. <laughs> um, you know, this was going to happen, but she never was elected. And then it kept coming out more and more, the criminality in the disclosure in, um, you know, in the movements, the truth movements of her and her ilk that uh, that, that lost, all lost all credibility. And, you know, the disclosure movement seemed to take on a lot of the, uh, you know, exposing of, you know, the Clinton um, regime and the deep state factions. And, you know, that's, that was all going to be part of this disclosure push um, and this was very interesting that you know, the same people involved in what was that disclosure push still kind of being part of this new uh, revamping of this fake disclosure and so let's get back in there for a second so recently we had Actually, I'm going to start, I'm going to change tack here, and, and I'm going to talk about that. There's a new movie coming out, okay? It's called Above Majestic. People are very excited about it because it's going to uh, discuss the secret space program and where it came from um, and what's going on there and how the government was able to hide, you know, a multi, multi, multi-trillion dollar breakaway type program and we have all these insiders and whistleblowers that are going to be in the movie. And um, some of these people I respect very much. Um, but uh, it's interesting that um, with this G Corporation, there's been all this, you know, upheaval lately. And so it's, we don't know who's who, what's going on. Does any of it mean anything? Is anything in the movie going to be real at all? I, I have no clue. Um, but I do know some things. I know that they decided and chose to make the release of this movie on Halloween, okay, in Boulder, Colorado, at a hotel called the Boulderado, during a 
masked or costumed ball. Isn't that kind of weird? Put it together, people. So that is weird. I'm sorry, but that's strange. Um, I will say it's strange because so many of the people involved in this movie, people like uh, David Wilcox, um, Jordan Sather, uh, Corey Good, but it's we don't know is he really in the movie anymore. This movie is put out by Orchard. Okay, they're the same uh. folks that put out the um, movie by Stephen Greer called Unacknowledged. Okay, and Orchard, which is really funny about them, is their insignia. Okay, Orchard, right? What's the other company that sounds like that? Oh, Apple. Okay, Apple, Orchard. Mm. And you might not connect the two unless you see their logo. And their logo is a full apple with like the little stem and leaf coming off the side. So it's very similar to Apple. It's, you know, it's meant to be that way. There's no way you could mistake that. So we have Orchard putting out these disclosure movies. And uh, we have these people involved in this movie um, who are all connected to this corporation. And then there's been all this damage control in this last week around it all while we have all kinds of people talking about it. So who are the major stockholders in that G Corporation? Again, Vanguard, BlackRock Group, okay. Do we know that they specifically are tied to this above Majestic? No, we have fulldisclosureproject.com um, that was started by supposedly Corey Good back in 2015, I believe. That was taken off the disclosure project that was Stephen Greer started, you know, a decade before that. And um, it, it keeps just moving along. So above Majestic, this movie being debuted at a hotel in Boulder, Colorado, that is the hotel that this G Corporation usually does so much of its whining and dining, its uh, hosting of different events, uh, parties. Uh, when people come to town, the Boulderado is the place to be um, because this corporation has a massive um, installation in Boulder. Um, and so the Boulderado Hotel. So underneath Boulder, there's catacombs, tons of catacombs. Uh, we're coming into high holy satanic holiday season. This is uh, the pièce de résistance for Satanism. Uh, pretty much, you know, yeah. So that's awful. The people doing this movie have reported on this out the wazoo. Okay, we have Wilcox talking about Satanism, anti-Luciferian, anti-Satanism, blah, 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 blah. We have... Uh, you know, Jordan Sates are doing so much exposure of that. Uh, people talking about this. And, and I just want to put out there, I have compassion <laughs> for anybody um, that is trying to do this research and trying to make a living, trying to deal with all of, you know, they're, they're, it's easy to get involved with um, people who might not have your best interest but are offering money. Uh, you know, I can see how it can happen. However... Halloween to debut a disclosure movie? Wouldn't you say that on principle you wouldn't do that and you certainly wouldn't do it at a costumed ball on Halloween at a hotel to do with a major corporation funded by uh, BlackRock Group and Vanguard? Okay, so above Majestic, it's going to tell us about how the Secret Space Program came into 
existence and how that could happen, all of that. And then we had, unfortunately, the strange occurrence of the new star at this GTV, Jason Rice, being served with a letter from a lawyer um, that had to do with Corey Good, to do with the um, trademarking of SSP, standing for Sacred Space Programming. <laughs> programming. <laughs> there you go. Secret Space Programming. I think that's more accurate. And, uh, and trademarking the concept of 20 and back, which for people that don't know and watch my channel and don't follow all this stuff, uh, 20 and back refers to a claimed program that exists where um, uh, people are sought for their empath abilities at a young age. They are then, uh, you know, used by the military to um, become part of this secret space program to go do these missions for 20 years and then they are regressed by the technologies and then come back to their lives as if 20 years never happened. Something like that. And so Corey Good wants to also trademark that concept. And that sounds like another, like that big G company wanting, you know, to trademark that word that means earth um, and many, many, many other things and using lawfare as their main... I'm sorry, I just saw something of uh, Jordan Sather and I'm reporting it because I think he's very dangerous. He's doing the Illuminati hand signs, people, and he's mocking us on purpose. He is a part of the movement against human beings. I know you can't see it because he's blonde and blue-eyed, but I'm telling you, remember I told you. ...way of controlling the people that work for them and controlling the research that they uh, basically take in and then don't do anything with and instead promote these stories that don't can't be substantiated and have no research behind them. So there's that. And so... Corey Good, who had to do with Full Disclosure Project and the Blue Avian Society, what Daniel, uh, well, dark journalist calls the, the blue chickens or something, the blue space chickens. Yeah, blue avians. Um, that, you know... This Your boy Jordan is down with them and that whole fake everything. He's down with it, people. Wake it up. Whole trademarking of something to do with secret space program, this... These words were first used in like 89 or 91 um, by other researchers. Um, they, they're not, they're not, you can't claim them as your own. It's ridiculous. It's like, you know, claiming anything else. And Joe from the Carolinas, their video I will link below, um, makes a great point in a, in a spoof that he did um, uh, a few days ago regarding this. But what I'm wanting people to take away from this video, and I know I'm going on and on, there's so much more to say because... Uh, there's been so many curious things that have happened, so many um, threatening uh, situations people have found themselves in uh, to do with this subject. And you might say, well, that's, of course, the whistleblower's life. You never know what's going to happen. It's dangerous. It's this. But no, it turns out like, you know, the call is coming from it within the house, right? <laughs> it's full on Halloween um, because the call is coming from in the house. 
okay these dangers aren't coming from outside so hmm, it's very interesting it's a lot to think about a lot to look into there's so much it's it's a giant you know abundance of uh interconnections and spiderweb situations and for some of the people that have gotten really you know uh you know get that spider web that sticky stuff all around you and you're just like it's cocooned you in you can't move your arms and you're stuck um by these uh players these deep state players my heart goes out to you and i wish you the best and i hope that you stay safe and stay uh, free that you uh, make freedom be your ultimate purpose and choice to freedom to have speech the freedom to speak truth and to not be controlled uh, by corporate interests um, that uh, are controlled by deeper corporate interests that are controlled by a much deeper much more sinister corporate interest so all of that while the Space Force buildup is announced, uh, it's all a very interesting interplay of things happening right now. And so I'm going to get more into this, uh, but I'm going to leave it there because that seems like a good place to stop. Uh, Halloween debut of Above Majestic. One thing that really sticks in my mind. I don't know what it is about this movie. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I don't know. She's making a point about it. Uh, and to embower, really, is to encircle in darkness, okay? And Robert means um, glory or... Uh serving as entertainment for the rest of us. Today's example of someone getting mad online doesn't come in the form of an offhand tweet or Facebook comment. No, the triggering was so intense, so pervasive, that it has actually resulted in our good friends at Now This bringing in a so-called media expert to talk about just how absolutely devastated online she is. I was actually surprised when I saw this video, which Now This titled, How the Far Right is Dividing Americans with Social Media, because to me, it comes off as a shocking admission that conservative and right-wing arguments are breaking through and winning people over. That's not something you normally admit if you're smart at politics. But then again, we're dealing with now this, and they aren't exactly sending their best or most strategic. But before we get into that, let's take a moment to talk about another danger that affects all of you, threats to online privacy and security. While you're probably taking some time off for summer fun and vacations, hackers and those that would steal your private information are still hard at work. And if you're using a free VPN service, you're setting yourself up to get burned this summer. This month, users of popular crypto wallet service MyEtherWallet were warned about a breach that occurred as a result of a free VPN service being hacked, with millions of users at risk. This incident is a reminder of why everyone should steer clear of shady free VPNs and use a trusted, legitimate, secure VPN with a team dedicated to keeping you and your information safe from online threats. This is why you need to protect yourself from free VPNs that actually make you less safe and instead sign up for Virtual Shield. With their no-log policy, they get All right, the basic assumption order. that the natural order is somehow peaceful and calm, and people having intense disagreements over politics, culture, and policy is an unnatural phenomenon. People living under representative governments have been discussing and debating politics for as long as governments have existed. The conversations that take place on social media are largely manifestations of people's real concerns and desires. 
people are engaging in political conversations over social media, that's because they have at least a modicum of concern over politics. Now, certainly, people can be artificially whipped into a frenzy or incensed by things that aren't true, but a heated political dialogue doesn't mean that social media is broken. If you want a medium where people aren't disagreeing and debating all the time, go over to Instagram. I use my Instagram quite a lot, and I almost never post anything political there. Or, if you need to use Facebook, you can just mute or unfriend the people talking politics if you don't want to see them. But let's let Melissa here finish her argument and see what else she has to say. So who's doing this? It isn't one group, but a coalition with a lot of overlap, including right-wing media, far-right online communities, homegrown <laughs> hate groups, and hostile foreign actors, most notably Russian trolls. You know, there are people in Russia whose job it is is to try to exploit our systems. And yes, this coalition includes Donald Trump and his administration. What? Wait, so we're supposed to believe that there's some sort of collusion going on between the Trump administration, the alt-right, or the Donald, and paid Russian trolls to make social media less fun and more divisive? <laughs> Let's see what kind of evidence our expert witness has for this allegation. Trump and his online army of supporters feed off America's unresolved issues with race to divide Americans. And Russian trolls have aided that effort by running their own online influence operations targeting American voters. Hold on, so it's Trump supporters and the right that are responsible for reigniting America's, quote, unresolved racial issues? This is a perfect example of the left crying out as they strike you. We all remember the 2008 election where Barack Obama and his supporters capitalized on questions of racial identity in order to win the election. And many naively thought at the time that Obama's election would bring an end to racial tensions in the United States. Of course, we see today that this was not true. But who is responsible for exploiting racial tensions for political gain? Clearly, the left has been leading the charge on this issue for a while now, utilizing identity politics very effectively in order to mobilize their largely non-white base. Many of you surely know this by now, but there are very few white people left on the American left. It is increasingly a coalition made up of Latinos, African Americans, Asian Americans, and Jewish Americans, whereas the American right is becoming more and more white every year. This is why we see the left becoming increasingly anti-white. American political parties exist as a near proxy for racial identity. The fact that now this, an outlet that routinely targets white people specifically, is blaming white right-wing Americans for exploiting racial tensions is an absolutely ludicrous assertion. Of course, they don't dare look at the content put up by places like The Root that routinely target white people with nasty, hateful headlines. Oh, or no. even places like the New York Times that poetically describe the supposed death of white America. The left is increasingly racist in their own way. Democrats are the real racists, I suppose, but that racism isn't directed at minorities. It's directed at white Americans. What does this weaponization look like? Here are four main categories you should be aware of. False amplification. That's attempting to make your view or movement seem larger than it is with bots or algorithmic manipulation. Oh, you mean sort of like how the Huffington Post has nearly half a million totally legit YouTube subs, but can't manage to crack 2,000 views on a majority of their videos? <laughs> Spreading disinformation, aka fake news. Knowingly spreading and amplifying false information online. The New World Order. Online harassment. This includes bullying, doxing, or similar methods with the shared goal of intimidating others into silence. Well, isn't that interesting? The left taking a stand against doxing. You know, this is news to me, considering that doxing is a strategy almost entirely used by the far left in order to attack right-wing Americans and Europeans, destroying our lives and livelihoods, all because we have the wrong opinions about politics. You've heard countless examples of this already, Andrew Dodson being one of the most notable examples, or the dozens of other guys that lost their jobs after Charlottesville simply for expressing their opinions and going to a rally. Or how about a more recent example? Michael Macellus, a PhD student and standout engineer, was working in aerospace defense and had a promising career ahead of him. 
Last month, nearly a year after Charlottesville, leftists at ProPublica doxed him, exposed his place of work, exposed his school, and launched a social media campaign to get him fired and destroy his life. What was Michael's crime? What did he do wrong? Well, he acted in proportional self-defense in Charlottesville and defended himself against a mob of people that were attacking him. Oh, and he had the wrong opinions. Apparently, in modern America, having the wrong opinions and defending yourself is worthy of having your entire life destroyed. It's important to note here, too, that even though the left is alleging he was supposedly violent in Charlottesville, police now have his identity and have not pursued charges against him. Clearly, he was acting in self-defense in Charlottesville. Or perhaps we should talk about a story that emerged last week, where Vice Media and Antifa, Vice literally teamed up with Antifa to dox a couple of guys that ran an alt-right podcast in Canada. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of stories just like this. It's actually incredible to me that the left is going to claim that doxing is a far-right tactic, when in fact, almost every time it's been done, it has not been done to target people on the left. It's been done to target people on the right. It's unfortunate because doxing does work. It does destroy lives, and it often does shut people up. The right is generally too principle-rich and resource-poor to put together large doxes on its opposition like the left does, which is why the left seems to be winning the doxing war. Fanning the flames. Specifically, trolling for the purpose of inciting outrage, sometimes with different groups at the same time, with the goal of pitting them against one another. Women and people of color are disproportionately the target of weaponization campaigns. That's also by design. The goal is to drive us away from civic participation entirely by intimidating us into silence and demobilizing us from civic engagement. So what do we do about it? Can social media be saved? I'll bet my bottom shekel that Melissa here is going to propose social media censorship. Let's find out, shall we? I think so. But the key to fixing what's broken starts with the companies who created these platforms and allowed them to be gamed in the first place. Consumers have been left to deal with fake news, predatory political ads, targeted harassment, and data breaches largely on their own. We're dealing with systemic failures of the social media ecosystem, but the solutions offered often call on individuals to sort out their online experience for themselves. Imagine being such a coddled, useless American millennial that you need someone else to regulate your experience online. I miss the old days of the internet, you know, like 10 or 11 years ago, where if you were getting bullied on a web forum, you'd probably done something to deserve it, and you'd either change your behavior or you'd log off. I think that's a big part of the problem. People now think of social media as a requirement for everyday life, instead of a hobby or a pastime. And I understand why. Entire livelihoods are based now on access to social media, mine included. But if I started getting harassed and trolled in my YouTube comments, I'm not going to go crying to Susan Wojcicki, demanding my detractors be banned from the site for saying mean things. It's your responsibility to manage your online experience. If you're getting trolled, block people. Or if it's too overwhelming, just log off. If we begin introducing censorship to protect people's feelings, it will never be enough. It creates a slippery slope where rules will necessarily get more and more restrictive as the more and more sensitive users demand tighter censorship to protect their feelings. I remember when I was in my early teens posting on a variety of tech forums and I got called out for being annoying and immature. I'm glad I did because it helped me learn proper online behavior and etiquette. If I were growing up now in the age of social media coddling, I may have never learned that I was acting like an obnoxious child. The best way to fight back against weaponization is to pressure the tech platforms. As a consumer, you have a lot of power. Right now, these companies, especially Facebook, are on the defensive. Because of mass consumer outrage, they're finally starting to make some changes. 
but toxic content still goes viral online constantly. We need to keep demanding that companies profiting from our time and attention foster spaces we actually want to be on, free from weaponization and toxicity. Those are some pretty over-the-top, scary words to describe opinions that Melissa just doesn't like. I love the mindset that the left is in now. They simply can't fathom the idea that no one agrees with their bad ideas and mindless propaganda. And so you need to be censored. And the person that has the ability to decide is them. The internet power of conservatives, nationalists, and the far right is deeply concerning to the left. But instead of thinking about how to fight back against the ideas and debate the right, they're instead opting to rely on censorship, effectively kicking the can down the road and hoping that their opposition simply disappears with time. Censorship will never work, though, and I'll tell you why. You cannot destroy the ascendant American right wing until you solve the conditions creating the ascendant right wing. Kicking figureheads off of Twitter and Facebook isn't making nationalism or identitarianism any less popular. It's simply turning more heads and making more people wonder why these ideas are so dangerous that they have to be censored. Like the presenter said at the beginning of the video, America has unresolved racial issues, and until those issues are resolved in some manner, you're going to continue to see political radicalization occur on both sides. I believe that social media can be a force for good again. Online communities should connect us, not divide us. Social media should help Americans move forward to create a better society, which is what the tech companies all claim they want. But we can't get there until they take responsibility for what's gone wrong. In her mind, people disagreeing from neoliberal global homo technocracy is a deviation from what's right. <laughs> Social media platforms should be seen as neutral platforms, not active parties. They should be acting like neutral platforms too, and not engaging in censorship based on political ideologies. If people on Facebook want to engage in left-wing political activism and organization, that's fine. But right-wingers should have the same rights as people on the left. Unfortunately, the left doesn't extend this sort of live-and-let-live courtesy to the right. They want us censored, deplatformed, and thrown off the internet entirely, all for the crime of disrupting their safe little progressive safe space. This entire video is amusing to me, not just because of this woman's unique physical presence, but because of the staggering admission the left is making here. She's effectively admitting that right-wing messaging and arguments are becoming increasingly effective, and the left feels threatened by it threatened to the point where they're crying out to demand censorship of people spreading ideas that they don't like. And for anyone on the American right, that can only be seen as good news. That was an excellent, excellent video. Um, this channel is called Jeans Alsup. And um, if we're really going to understand, not just we know that the censorship is going on, but understanding the techniques that are going on, um, videos like this are excellent to even be able to share with each other. Please, please go and check him out. James Alsup. Excellent, excellent, excellent for us to understand, um, to understand what the left believes, that they have the right to censor you if you're not in alignment with what they think. And, uh, I'm going to have something to say about this an answer to that but uh on to the next topic we're going to cover the information then we'll go back and do a retrospective how about that color powers that's a brighter podcast it's color powers and guess what i'm back again to shower you with new <laughs> got some info. I got some info for you. 
Uh, no, this is actually kind of like a, a serious topic. A story was published today topic. about a woman who was in the subway in London go. when a man approached her screaming, threatening to attack her, and then he attacked her, seemingly for no reason. Now, this woman is upset because she said two white men who looked like they were in their 50s refused to help her, refused to intervene, and then actually got up and left the subway cart. I keep hearing stories about men who refuse to intervene to protect women and children, and so I started wondering, is this actually a recurring trend? Is this actually getting worse, where men are no longer going to step in to protect people? And if it is, what's actually causing it? That's why they're trying to tell women to step it up. Before we get started, head over to youtube.com slash timcastnews for my live stream channel. If any breaking news happens, I will be live here. And I will also have periodic live streams talking about news and other issues. There will be a button right here that you can click to subscribe. And if you really want to support my work, go to patreon.com. The agitated man squared up to her and started violently attacking her in the middle of the carriage. Recounting the incident, she said, I got on the tube at Highgate and I was going to Old Street. A man got on an archway. He was about six foot and around 30 to 35 years old and he just started screaming. At first, I thought he was some sort of performance artist but then it became clear that he was not well. He was screaming and shouting at me, saying things like, I am going to effing kick you. Then he did actually kick me. It oh. was intimidating. He was a big guy and I am only size eight. The fashion CEO is keen to stress she does not blame this man, who she believes needs medical help, but said the incident was terrifying. Instead, she is upset that two men she describes as white and middle class chose not to help and move to another carriage. I remain more angry with those white middle-class men who left me to it. As fathers, husbands, and sons, they should be ashamed of themselves. Miss Sinchik praised those who came to her aid as angels, saying an Eastern European man who had seen the guy on the platform had worked his way down the train as he felt that man was dangerous, and he got to me when the train stopped. She said her message to those who left her was, you are cowards with less empathy and strength than two size eight women and a Greek female pensioner, shame on you. If you were so scared is one thing, but one of you had a briefcase and could have helped me and both of you could have pulled the cord from the safety of the next carriage that you left me for. I would never in my life do that. First, I'd like to point out that I find it interesting that she actually blames the two men who weren't involved over the man who actually attacked her. Simply because someone seems like they might need medical help doesn't absolve them of their own personal responsibilities, though I understand not holding anyone at fault for the incident. I also am curious as to why these two men got up and refused to help. So I started looking into other stories, and it turns out there might be a trend, or at least the perception of a trend, of those who seek to help others being punished for doing so. One of the first stories I found is from The Telegraph. Good Samaritan jailed for six years for punching drug dealer who attacked a woman. Carl Neal jailed for punching violent drug dealer who was not prosecuted for a violent attack on a woman, which triggered the confrontation. A good Samaritan who stepped in and punched a violent drug dealer who was attacking a young woman has been jailed for six years. Father of one Carl Neal was jailed after felling a violent drug dealer with a single punch after he helped a young woman who was being attacked in the street. Mr. Neal, 23, intervened when he saw the woman being punched and pinned against a car bonnet. Mr. Neal shouted at the dealer, who was owed a 40-pound debt by the woman, to leave the woman alone, and then knocked him down with one punch. He hit the drug dealer again before walking away from the scene. The dealer was left fighting right. for his life with doctors protecting story. yourself or protecting children. In this story, 
A man saw an overturned vehicle and rushed to save the woman's life and helped her start breathing. An officer told him to move his truck, but he refused to leave this woman's side because he feared she might die and he did have medical training. Eventually, the police arrested the man. Or how about this story from Miami? A man helped a lost toddler, police say. He was then smeared online as a predator. A man trying to help a lost toddler find her parents was misidentified as a kidnapper on social media over the weekend, according to police in Lakeland, Florida, prompting him to leave town in fear for his safety and the safety of his family. The citizen attempted to ask the girl where her parents were and walked with her in hopes she could point them out, the statement said, a fact verified by at least one independent witness. At that point, bystanders told the parents the man was attempting to kidnap the child. So what do you say? And then going to the last story I just talked about. A man who actually tried to help a little girl was branded a pervert and actually physically attacked by the girl's father. Heading now to Australia, we see this story. Mo so unable to confirm whether the son with all these stories? And she gave him a check for $10,000 to help pay for college. So there are stories of positive results when someone intervenes to help someone else. But I don't find it unreasonable that people are refusing to step up to defend others because for one, I'm sure a lot of people just don't want to be involved in a confrontation. But there are just too many stories about people being punished for trying to do something good. If you intervene and accidentally hurt or kill someone, you can be charged criminally for the damage you inflict. And if you don't know how much force to apply or a court decides you applied too much force, you can be punished. In this instance, the two men walking away probably did the safest thing for them by not defending wow. this woman. This is, this is a scary state of things. This is very, very scary. Women, don't believe this hype that's out here that's kissing your butts talking about women can do this and that. They're doing all of this to create um, just this kind of enmity between men and women and so that men don't help women. And this is something that is very seriously going on and somebody needs to talk about it. I don't know where this guy's slant is but he's interesting, this Tim Pool. I'm just listening to his perspective as a man, how he feels about what's going on. Made when one of the most popular gaming live streamers, Tyler Blevins, also known as Ninja, said that he wouldn't stream with women out of respect for his family and his marriage. People then said he was misogynistic, he was sexist, he refuses to stream with girls. But he clarified that this was because he will be harassed, that his family will be harassed, and that people will accuse him of flirting or cheating on his wife and things of that nature. And this is reminiscent to what we saw with Mike Pence when not too long ago the story came out that he wouldn't dine alone with people who weren't his wife. In the wake of the Me Too movement, there have been many men who are refusing to mentor women, who are refusing to socialize and don't even want to be in the same room as women out of a fear that anything they say or do could be misinterpreted or they could be falsely accused. So today, I want to ask the question, why is it that there are so many men who are concerned about being alone with women? Why is it that men are now unlikely to mentor women. I'm telling you, <laughs> nobody's going to be getting pregnant. Nobody's going to be getting laid because people are too afraid. Oh no. Started, let me give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, News Voice. The app gives you a personalized news feed by aggregating major news sites. Okay, anyway. He also wanted to make 100% sure that he was not connected to other women in the online world. He said this decision was his and not a decision made by his wife, Jessica Blevins, who is also a streamer on Twitch. That was not even her, Blevins said. She had nothing to do with it. That was me being, I love our relationship, and no, I'm not even going to put you through that. Despite his personal reasons, 
The general consensus in the gaming community was surprised at Ninja saying he will only stream with male gamers. The range of response runs the gamut from outrage at the message that the biggest Twitch streamer not playing with female sends to others respecting Blevins' choice as a personal one. There hasn't been a single female gamer or streamer on Twitch or anything like that who's been upset about that, Blevins said. Regarding his choice, he then calls it a respect thing. Ninja clarified. He said that people will essentially harass his family and videos will pop up because he's got 10 million followers claiming that he's cheating on his wife. And he's not wrong. Interactions between men and women are dramatically different. Wait, if yeah. I make a joke to a man on Twitter, people just assume I'm making a joke. But even if I simply, there, there's somebody on Twitter, and I simply said, hey, are you going to this convention next September? I'll see you there. And people started acting like all of a sudden we were dating and making jokes about it. And then yes, it was rather uncomfortable because we're just trying to have a professional relationship. And this leads me to the bigger story. That in the wake of the Me Too movement, there's many reasons why men are actually refusing to interact with women, not all men, but the numbers are going up. From leanin.org, key findings. LeanIn.org and SurveyMonkey partnered to understand what men and women are feeling in the wake of the widespread media reports of sexual harassment. Here's what we learned. Almost half of male managers are uncomfortable participating in a common work activity with a woman, such as mentoring, working alone, or socializing together. Again, almost half. Almost 30% of male managers are uncomfortable working alone with a woman, more than twice as wow. many as before. The number of male- This is ruining equality, people. This is by pointing out the gender and making it such a big thing and everything, it's actually ruining equality and working side by side, which is somebody's, that's exactly what they wanna do. Managers who are uncomfortable mentoring women has more than tripled from 5% to 16%. This means that one in six male managers may now hesitate to mentor a woman. Senior men are 3.5 times more likely to hesitate to have a work dinner with a junior level woman than with a junior level man. And five times more likely to hesitate to travel for work with a junior level woman. The survey shows that the amount of men who are uncomfortable working with women, socializing with women, or even being alone with women has actually gone up. And I can't say it's surprising because interactions between men and women are different. One example I've given is if a man compliments the appearance of another man, it's typically brushed off as nothing. Like if a guy looks at another guy up and down and says, man, that is a stunning suit. You're going to kill it with the ladies. Very few men are probably going to take that as sexual harassment or be offended by it. But if it's the opposite sex doing it to each other, it immediately becomes something more nefarious. If a man looks a woman up and down and says, wow, that's a stunning dress. You look great. You're going to kill it with the guys. That could be considered sexual harassment. You know, he should have just said, that's a stunning dress. Great choice. When you say you're going to kill it with the guys, you're overstopping your boundaries because it's none of your business. Maybe she's, you know, you don't know who anybody's into. So, you know what? You can say it. You just got to think before you say it. That's all sexual in nature and thus interactions between men and women are different so it's unsurprising then that men are feeling this way about mentoring working with or being alone with women the globe and mail has a story from may 27th is me too worsening the divide between men and women of course it and is. it is from lisa kimmel the president and ceo of edelman canada this is a very big company lisa writes a few weeks ago a good friend of mine who happens to be a male executive confided in me that he has been accused of sexual misconduct at a recent company function. I didn't do this, he implored, but I know my career and reputation are over. The sheer panic in his voice was terrifying. The allegations against him were subsequently proved to be false. I was rocked by this news, 
both the initial allegations and the resulting dismissal, not only as his friend, but as a female executive who has commented on the business implications swirling around even the threat of such accusations. There's no question that my view of the MeToo movement has evolved since I wrote about the issue in January. I have had the opportunity to talk about my thoughts at a recent Women's Forum Canada debate about whether the movement will inevitably help unify men and women in creating better workplaces. While my position on the matter may not be the popular one, I'm steadfast in my evolving belief that MeToo is worsening the divide between men and women instead of bridging the gap towards meaningful change. In an interview with Vice News... But that's everything that is being used, I hate to say it, mostly by the left. We have to understand that it is to stop conversation and it is simply to demonize any particular population that they want. You know, that's all they want to do is you demonize it and then you have some moral high ground and then whatever you do is, you know, above reproach. And I suggest that no one be above reproach and everything be looked at and everyone listened to. It's pretty simple. Peterson questioned if men and women can work together. Is society ready to tackle sexual harassment in the workplace effectively? In the interview, he states he doesn't know if they can work together because it's only been a few decades and- All of a sudden we can't work together. We've been working together just fine for the past two decades. All of this, this is a psyop, people. This is fake. And the whole Mueller thing, how many more? It's like they're making a joke out of um, sexual abuse. They're, they're really, in trying to raise supposed awareness, they're making a joke out of it so that when it's really done, people are just going to be either avoided or ignored. They are diffusing it. Understand that this is a technique. This is a technique, people. Let's recognize that. In opinion, it's been disastrous. We've had sexual harassment and now we have the blowback. It does seem like equality is very hard to attain when men and women behave differently towards each other. And then we have the current circumstances where men actually sexually harass women and do very inappropriate things. The Me Too movement isn't wrong in that regard. But the result of this is blowback. It's a backlash where now men don't even want to go to social functions with women, let alone be in the same room as them. And again, it's not all men. It does seem to be a minority, but it's a decent sized minority of men who are straight up saying, we don't want to do this. There are examples of men being falsely accused, like we saw from Lisa Kimmel, CEO of Edelman Canada. She tells a story about a friend of hers who was falsely accused. And even if it is rare that a man is falsely accused, don't be surprised if many men want to avoid any situation where they could be falsely accused for any reason. I think hmm. woman, well, often the system doesn't support the man in the same way. Again, it sometimes does, but we do have a recent example in which a man filed a claim against- Well, I think we're also looking at the persecution of men. And it is specifically done to create the exact type of tension that he's talking about. It, there is a persecution of men going on, but I can tell you right now, it's not women who are doing it. It's satanic. Woman and feminists actually defended the abuser. The New York Times ran a story a couple days ago. What happens to Me Too when a feminist is the accused? The story is about Evital Ronell, a world-renowned female professor of German and comparative literature at New York University. 
She was found responsible for sexually harassing a male former graduate student, Nimrod Reitman. An 11-month Title IX investigation found Professor Ronald described by a colleague as one of the very few philosopher stars in the world, responsible for sexual harassment, both physical and verbal, to the extent that her behavior was sufficiently pervasive to alter the terms and conditions of Mr. Reitman's learning environment. The university has suspended Professor Ronald for the coming academic year. I want to point out, they refer to it as sexual harassment, but show that it was physical. That's sexual assault. Let me tell you something. This professor, Ronald, might be a man that has been transgendered and so looks like a woman. These are the little details that they leave out of stories to make it look now like, like the women are the predators. No, they're dudes. And they're still after men. Men, you are being targeted. But don't think that you're targeted by women because it's not women targeting you. It's men. Difference. But how do you think some high-profile feminists responded to the accusation against one of their own? Soon after the university made its final confidential determination this spring, a group of scholars... I can't even listen to any more of it because I could just tell you something. That half of these feminists, like uh, Gloria Steinem, they're all men. Half of the, the, the ones that led the, the women's movement, there were a lot of good things that happened out of the women's movement. But we also suffered uh, the breaking apart of the American family. That was by design. And Shirley Chisholm, the black one, all of them, they're all dudes. And it's all about, you know, men lusting after men. I hate to say that. I have nothing against gay people. It's not all of them. It's this particular group of people that have an agenda, which is part of the, the globalization and everything going on. So they're using what they do to smear women, to uh, make this tension between men and women so that uh, the normal socialization that happens between men and women cannot go on. And that is a part of the courtship process, you know, that is being stopped. They're having us um, competing against each other. And as this guy, Tim Poole, said, no more is it about uh, the male being the protector. They're trying to change the roles of men and women. And, uh, you know... We just got to wake up to it. That's all. Enjoy, people. Enjoy this new world we're living in.